So technically, I, I have a high school diploma and several hours of college under my belt, but I have no law degree, no undergraduate degree, none of those things, and yet I had enough powers of persuasion to cajole and coax the state legislatures across the country to ratify an amendment that was almost 200 years old. And by the time that it got its 38th state in 1992, it was actually 202 years old. You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property. The struggle for an equal rights amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So as we march today, remember, forward together, backward never. If you could change one thing about the Constitution, what would it be? I would add an equal rights amendment to the nice. Constitution. Today, the House of Representatives cleared a hurdle to make the Equal Rights Amendment the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. The House voted to remove a deadline for states to ratify the amendment, which would guarantee women the same legal rights as men. I'm Kate Kelly, human rights attorney, feminist, and advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. And this is Ordinary Equality. We've established that the U.S. has fallen behind when it comes to the rights protected in our Constitution. And now we're closer than ever to changing that, at least when it comes to inserting a gender equality clause. But last we talked about the timeline of all this, the fate of the ERA was looking pretty bleak. So what happened? How did we get from failure to resurrection? Today we're talking about a man who single-handedly passed a different amendment and thereby re-energized the somewhat dormant fight for the ERA. My name is Gregory Watson, and I would give my title as historian and constitutional scholar. In the spring of 1982, Gregory, a college sophomore at the time, enrolled in a government class at the University of Texas at Austin. When his professor assigned the class a paper about a governmental process, Gregory immediately turned to the Equal Rights Amendment. Now, given that this was the spring of 1982 and the revised ratification deadline of June 30th, 1982, being just months away, I decided I wanted to write about whether Congress indeed has the ability to do an extension on a previously agreed-upon ratification deadline. And so that's what my paper was originally going to be about. Gregory's mother had been a member of the National Organization for Women, and he was familiar with the movement to pass the amendment. The approaching deadline was major news. As a reminder, the initial deadline for passing the amendment was 1979. That got extended to 1982. The length of that extension is important. Here's Ellie Smeal, president.
president of the Feminist Majority and the Feminist Majority Foundation on why the short extension set ERA advocates up for failure. Now, why that three years and three months? Because the state senates are principally based on four-year elections. So they were not going to give us another crack at the elections because we were defeating people. On we ERA. Were, oh, on the ERA. No question about it. We were, we had, um, we were targeting people and defeating them. Uh, so they wanted to take some of our power away. And they didn't want us to take another crack at the state senates. That's the reality of it. And I knew it the minute it happened. And in fact, we were very honest to our supporters this, you know, that this wasn't what we wanted. We're going to build a movement. And every inch of the way, we had a meeting of now of 250 some people, about 250 of our leaders saying, I want you to know our chances are not good. We, we knew the exact counts. We can't challenge them now election wise. They have gotten beyond, you know, because of this crazy limited time limit. But we're maybe we'll do the best we can. We're going to build a political movement. And when we come over the top, I guarantee you there'll be a lot more women inside. Maybe we'll be lucky and maybe we'll push it anyway. But remember, we most of the Senate's now are out of our, we can't do it. And you know what people did at that meeting? They stood up and said, I'll mortgage my house. I'll give you my jewelry. I'm not kidding. It, 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 people were so intense. We're going to build a movement. And we started with the slogan, we'll remember in November. That starts almost immediately. Um, that we're not, every November, this movement is going to be too big for you to ignore. We're going to be inside and outside. But at the time we're doing it, we're very few women inside. And I do believe that that movement then turned in the 80s towards more elections, more uh a political strategy that to this day. Now, did we, I knew that if we lost then that we would um, be stalled to the 21st century. I even said that. I mean, I, I can do math. But I also knew that it was inevitable that we will win if this democracy is to prevail. With the deadline fast approaching, Gregory set to work on his paper. During the initial research, his report took a turn. It was very much by accident that I found another amendment. Well, in the Austin Downtown Library, there was a book that had within it a chapter showing amendments that Congress had submitted to the state legislatures for ratification, but which not enough state legislatures had approved to ever become part of the Constitution. And I noticed this one that said, no law varying the compensation of the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. And it was almost like an electrical impulse came over my body. And I, I kind of quivered in the library aisle. And I thought, this is interesting. This amendment, if ratified, would prevent members of Congress from abusing 
their ability to establish their own salaries. And so I had already discovered that it was in the year 1917 that Congress first got into the habit of putting deadlines on amendments that it sends out to the states. So anything prior to 1917 had no deadline. A quick reminder, Congress first invented the whole deadline thing around prohibition. They wanted to pass the amendment because it was popular, but they didn't actually think it would get ratified within seven years. They were wrong. It was ratified by enough states in just one year. After that, every amendment except the 19th had the seven-year deadline attached to it by Congress. It became a trend. So here I am holding this book in my hands in the aisle of the library, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, the ERA is very interesting, it's very fascinating, but I think I'll switch my topic and instead write about this amendment from 1789 because, number one, it has no deadline, so technically it's still pending before the states, and number two, the problem that it seeks to address is still a problem. Gregory put a lot of effort into his paper, and he expected it would go over swimmingly. When he got it back, he was displeased with his grade. Right after this message, we'll find out why. Have you ever considered therapy? Do you have a good therapist right now? Is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I think everyone could benefit from having a professional mental health counselor. I know I do. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. It is professional counseling done securely online. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit betterhelp.com equality. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Ordinary Equality listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash equality. I was very heartbroken to get the paper back with a big C on it because I'd, I thought I'd made the case very well and I'd put a lot of special touches into the paper and just made it a really, not only an informative paper, but a visually pleasing eye candy type of document. So it, it really angered me to get the paper back with a C on it. And that came from the teaching assistant. So I decided I would go above his head, go directly to the professor, and appeal the grade to her. She told me she'd take a look at the paper, and in the next class period, when she entered the 
was it really wasn't a classroom it was more of an auditorium and there were it was just a huge enrollment in there and so she kind of physically tossed it at me and said no change and kind of right at that moment I decided you know I'm gonna get that thing ratified in part to protest his undeserved low grade Gregory set off to work state by state to get this thing into the Constitution. And truth be told, even if I'd gotten an A on the paper, I still would have gone about the project because the lure of doing something like that would have been just too strong for someone like me to resist. And when I say someone like me, what I mean by that is I am very, very legislative. In fact, at that time, I had just been hired to work for a member of the Texas House of Representatives at the nearby state capitol building, only five blocks away. So if I ever had to describe myself in one word and one word only, that one word would be legislative. And so to someone of my philosophy, uh, it was just irresistible. I would have done it no matter what grade I got on the paper. Gregory was fired up. Part of his motivation was that the amendment was still needed. It gave clarity on a topic that was still problematic. The amendment deals with congressional pay raises. It says that any raise instituted in one term doesn't actually take effect until the next. They can't raise their own pay without having an election first. The amendment was first proposed in the year 1789. Still, come the 1980s, congressional pay raises were happening in a way that Gregory and many others found sketchy. On several occasions during the decade of the 1980s, there were various efforts to boost congressional salaries. And uh, in some cases, those efforts to raise their pay were done in a rather sleazy fashion. In February of 1987, Jim Wright, who had been the House Majority Leader in Washington, D.C., had ascended to the post of Speaker because Tip O'Neill had chosen to retire from Congress. And so Jim Wright, being the new Speaker of the House, sworn in January 1987, one of the first things that he did the next month in February was he said, we're going to have a vote on whether to accept or decline a pay raise that will occur automatically unless we refuse it by a certain date. And so he waited until the next day after the deadline to decline the pay raise had come and gone, and he conducted a vote on the House floor. And of course, the majority voted to decline the pay raise. But of course, because all of this happened one day too late, they got to keep the pay raise anyway. And so the media picked up on that, and that was one of a number of examples where the public just became so disgusted by these sleazy, tricky, sneaky, underhanded methods for raising congressional salaries that uh, 
really the amendment largely sold itself through the states. All I had to do was locate a member of the legislature who would be agreeable to offering the resolution. And as long as he or she, you know, did at least some pushing and, and advocating of the resolution, normally it passed with very little fanfare. Efforts to ratify the ERA have been very coalition-based. Gregory preferred a more lone wolf approach. So what I did starting in 1985, 1986, I would just write a letter to every single member of the legislature. And, you know, this would be like a few hundred letters in some cases, like the New Hampshire House of Representatives has over 400 members. So this was a lot of postage stamps, a lot of envelopes, a lot of making Xerox copies. But that tactic did speed things up greatly. I was able to get sponsors to agree to file the resolution in the various state capitals at a much more rapid clip. And so that's why things began to speed up in 1985, 86, and so on. I was funding all of this strictly on my own. And there was a part of me that wanted to demonstrate that one person acting basically alone could pull it off. I didn't want to be a part of an organization. And when organizations tried to get their paws on it, I would fight them off. And there were a number of people that, that literally tried to steal it from me. And I was able to fight all of them off successfully. I didn't want this to be a big organization. I wanted this to be a very grassroots and, and quite frankly, to be perfectly honest with you, a one-man campaign. And so that's how it, it ended up, as one person basically communicating with state lawmakers all across the country and persuading them that even though this amendment is from the year 1789, it's still very much needed because Congress keeps abusing its privilege and it has no deadline. The year after Gregory started working to get this thing into the Constitution, he had his first win. In 1983, the Maine legislature ratified the Congressional Compensation Amendment, and the victories just started rolling in. In 1984, Colorado ratified. Then between 1985 and 1989, 22 states followed suit. Then it kind of slowed down a little bit. Only two in 1990, only one in 1991. But by that time, it was getting very, very close. Only uh, uh, like two or three more were needed. And so when 1992 rolled around and the state legislatures went back into session, uh, it was quickly ratified by Alabama, by Missouri, and then by Michigan. And not knowing about Kentucky, having ratified it two centuries earlier in 1792, I and the rest of the world thought that when Michigan approved it on May 7, 1992, that's when it got its 38th ratification and became the 27th Amendment. In a strange twist of fate, it turns out that Gregory had actually succeeded two days earlier than he thought he did. 
Well, having found out years later that Kentucky had approved it 200 years prior to that, that means that it wasn't Michigan that put the amendment over the top on May 7th. 1992. Actually, it was the state that acted immediately before Michigan, which was Alabama, which acted on May 5th, 1992. So that is the true date of the 27th Amendment's ratification. And who knows, there may be old ratifications that were long forgotten. So with the extremely sloppy record-keeping both in Washington and in the various state capitals, it could be that there were more ratifications of the Congressional Compensation Amendment than I'm aware of. Regardless, the amendment was ratified in 1992, just 10 years after the ERA had failed. It was certified by the National Archivist and became part of the U.S. Constitution. Gregory single-handedly accomplished something most Americans wouldn't even think possible, and he eventually got that C paper regraded. The C was upgraded to an A in 2017. The professor, three and a half decades after the fact, petitioned the registrar to go into my GPA to delete the C and replace it with an A, albeit 35 years later, and and now my transcript formally shows that I got an A in her course back in 1982 rather than a C in her course. And of course, it only took 35 years to get that done. I was very pleased, but at the same time, my life circumstances have been such that I'm not able and wasn't able for years to just drop everything and go back and try to finish my degree. The story of the 27th Amendment differs, of course, from the Equal Rights Amendment. The whole reason that Gregory got excited about the 27th was that there was no pesky deadline to deal with. Still, its passage lit a spark for ERA activists. If he could get an amendment ratified two centuries after it was written, the ERA clearly had a shot after just a decade. ERA advocates are also quick to point out that the deadline language was put in the proposing clause of the amendment, not the actual text that the states ratified. And of course, deadlines are nowhere to be found in Article 5 of the Constitution, which governs the amending process. So some even argue that deadlines are per se unconstitutional. Even if it's okay to put deadlines in, They argue that Congress put them in and Congress can take them out. After the 1982 deadline Congress put in expired, gender rights activists were focused on building the de facto ERA we discussed previously. But in 1997, inspired by Gregory's work, three women came up with a new strategy to get the real thing. The United States had fallen three states short of ratifying the ERA. These women determined that they would get those final necessary ratifications and then deal with the issue of the deadline through Congress. The fact it had taken so, so long to pass the 27th Amendment served as evidence for future ratification efforts that the ERA could and should still happen. The resurrection had begun. So when I heard about Equal Rights Amendment, I knew it it didn't, it wasn't ratified. 
But I thought that was the end of it. And when Jeanette Dean called me and she said, she said, Senator, she said, great job last session. This was right after my first legislative session. Great job last session. You did a, a lot of things. And she said, so next session, will you do me, will you carry the bill to ratify the ERA? I said, what? I said, isn't it, isn't it dead? She said, well, no, not exactly. We just need three more states. And Nevada's one of them. I said, wow. Okay. I said, yeah, sure, sure. And I called my sister and I'm like, I'm going to carry a bill to ratify the ERA. Next time on Ordinary Equality, we're talking about Me Too, the modern resurgence of the women's movement, and the woman, Senator Pat Spearman, who pushed that strategy from theory into reality. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production, edited and produced by Liz Smith, executive produced by Jenny Kaplan, with support from Edie Allard and Louisa Garbowit. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Wardell. Special thanks to my employer, Equality Now, an international human rights organization that works to protect and promote the rights of women and girls all around the world. To learn more about what you can do to support the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, check out equalitynow.org backslash E-R-A. To follow along our journey, find us on Twitter at Ord Equality. If you like our show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to lifting up underrepresented voices based in New York City. In 2018, a groundbreaking number of women ran for office and won. However, there still remains a great gender imbalance in Congress. That's where Women Belong in the House comes in. Hosted by Jenny Kaplan, this podcast seeks to introduce America to the women on the front lines of politics as they gear up for the 2020 elections. Jenny sits down with a different representative as they discuss the need for female representation in public service, the issues facing women currently in office, and of course, the importance of the 2020 election. Listen and subscribe to Women Belong in the House wherever you listen to podcasts.